1: Ready for some rapid fire. I'm always ready for rapid fire. It's the best part of
2: the show, I think.
1: Let us do it then. So fill in the blank on this first question tonight with 3 days to think about it. The highlight of Saturday's Notre Dame win over Clemson was blank.
2: The highlight. So when I think of the highlight, I'm thinking of like the real that that like the 10 second clip that that encapsulates, you know, the the entire performance and what Notre Dame did um, and for me, I think I, I, there's two plays <laughs> that come to mind. The one, the the one to me that kind of really shifted everything is the Ben Morrison touchdown to go up 28 to zero. That one is up there for me. Um, and then offensively the highlight, Oh man, this one, this one is hard, but to me, the one I constantly think of, and I know it's not a touchdown or it's, I know it's not anything sexy, but it's the 13-yard run by Estime to get the first down on third and 13. Clemson's Ooh. trying to get a stop. Sexy. and it, it it is just like in the overall encapsulating moment of the game of just Clemson knowing what's coming. It's 13 yards. It's third down. You have to get a stop here. And Estime just bulldozes his way right down to on top of the line. Um, to me, those are the ones – that I think I'm going to branch out and give you one offensively and one defensively, but those are the two highlights where it just kind of, like, sums up the game.
1: I mean, those are both big. To me, it comes down to Jordan Botello and the punt block, you know, coming right up the middle and re-watching that play, and you probably saw this too, like, you were originally going to do a little whiteboard on that. There really wasn't a whole lot to it, but it came down to there's, there's video – before the game, not in that hype video we were talking about, but there's video of Brian Mason telling the punt block team they'll give you this look usually when they're backed up by their their end zone. If they're back there, you're going to get it, and we're going to have a chance. And so, you know, fast forward into the game, Clemson at the end of its first possession, they're back in the red zone, they're deep in their own territory, they line up the punt, And you see Jordan Botello, he walks over by Ramon Henderson, it looked like, and kind of said something to him. Henderson's on one side of the center, Botello goes back to the other side of the center, and then you see a couple Irish guys hold up their fists in the air like, you know, we got the look that we wanted, and here we come, and they block it. And to me, pump blocks are just awesome. Because one, if you watch Notre Dame football, like, we got so used to over the last, Basically, what, 12 years of Notre Dame football hearing, well, nobody blocks punts anymore because of the rugby-style punt and, you know, these formations where they spread out and the extra protectors in the backfield, nobody blocks punts anymore. You just can't get to punts. BS, we've seen six of them already, and I don't care how many times you see it, it is still unexpected. You know, it's like they just seem like they come out of the blue and they are so exciting. And when you can score a touchdown off it the way they did – and, you know, like you talk about the environment inside the stadium and all that stuff, it just sent the place into a frenzy. And so, to me, that was the highlight of the night, getting the scoring started with yet another punt block by Jordan Botello.
2: Yeah, I think what was so interesting about that punt block is Clemson did, the, did that to himself with all the penalties, getting themselves backed up. That deep. If you don't get that deep without all the penalties, you don't have to go to a punt tight or or a punt safe. And so that's got to be something that's extra frustrating for Dabo. Is self inflicted wounds of guys. We don't have to get into this punt formation if if not for all of these penalties and everything. But Notre Dame enforced those. And like you said, I, th- there was a lot of pre snap I think confusion for Clemson. But ultimately, what it came down to is three Notre Dame guys comes free come free. They have three personal protectors. And the middle personal protector just doesn't step up. He lets Batello come to him and Botello blows up the play and gets his hand on it. And so, you know, I don't know what what potentially could have seen, you know, they saw to to see that that kind of, you know, matchup or favorable. But hats off to him, because obviously the, the guy's hey. eyes, I think, was looking to the outside and all of a sudden Botello's running straight down the gut. And he's like, oh, crap, I need to step up here. And by that time, it's too late.
1: I don't know I don't understand the the wide splits like the I extra wide splits that. you're just punt.
2: asking for lanes
1: yeah it makes no sense to me like you're giving, especially a body like Jordan Batello free free run back to the personal protectors and a guy that big all he had to do was be a little bit physical like they really didn't even you know try to try to block him that yeah. hard so hey they got to it number six turned into six. That, to me, was, that. like I said, that was the highlight.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Vacation starts with VA. Whether you're feeling beachy, mountainy, or every E in between, you'll find all that you love all in one trip to Virginia. Start yours at virginia.org.
1: Next question. Did Notre Dame do the college football playoff and everyone else a favor by beating Clemson the way they did Saturday?
2: Uh, I think so, and I think the reason why is because if 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 any team that's undefeated uh, and, and another team with one loss or another, you know, essentially if there's more than four undefeated teams and then all the other one loss teams, any, any loss helps their case automatically. You don't have to do anything, but, but watch another team lose. And so I think Notre Dame did a great service to all of the, you know, remaining undefeated teams. TCU now has a chance to jump into the top four. That's who, you know, obviously stands the best chance because of this and also other one loss teams that are going to maybe potentially catapult Clemson and be closer to the top 4
1: compared to Clemson
2: now with their one loss.
1: I mean if Clemson had run the table, which they still very well might do, you know, they're going to they're going to end up in the ACC Championship game and Dabo was tweeting about, well, we don't even have to win. We're going to end up in the ACC Championship game and all this stuff. But I mean, if they had run the table, they were obviously going to make the college football play no matter what. They were just they were yeah, and then they were just going to get smacked down by somebody else. But what you've got now is a 6-3 and three Notre Dame team that has beaten the snot out of the two best teams in the ACC this year, the teams that are probably going to play for the championship, North Carolina on one side and Clemson on the other side. They each have one loss, and they were both smacked around by Notre Dame. So I absolutely think that Notre Dame did everyone a favor by beating Clemson the way they did to expose them early and not have to subject everyone to a pretender ending up in the college football playoff. And it's funny saying these things about Clemson because obviously these are the things that people say about Notre Dame most of the time, you know, being pretenders (laughs) and getting smacked around. So it's just – it's kind of ironic, I guess, if you ask me.
2: It's nice to be dishing out the punches.
1: Yeah. So Brandon Joseph injured an ankle against Clemson last Saturday. Marcus Freeman says he is questionable for this week's game against Navy would you risk playing brandon joseph this week
2: there is a zero percent chance that i would play brandon joseph this week navy is uh, as we know it is a very physical game and it is a game where your safeties have to come downhill uh and make plays in space very physical plays um and not having a healthy ankle you risk obviously getting that rolled up and hurt more and then you don't have the you, you know your foundation your stable base to, to plant yourself into the ground and make these physical tackles um You know what? Who who wants to go out there and try to you know plant their ankle foot in the ground to make these these uh, tackles against a very physical triple option team? So there's just no chance. I think that he is better served and and would be healthy needs to be healthy for when USC uh, game rolls in because that's going to require more coverage, obviously way less physical type football, and that's when you need him for. And so if it if it definitely needs to sit out Navy. Um, and depending on you know how he's feeling for Boston College and where things are at you know your confidence in the secondary then potentially look at that game too but you want your best secondary available for that USC game and it's not to overlook these games but it's just games where you can potentially get by with not having a, a Brandon Joseph
1: I mean this is you've got a D, you you've got what four other guys you you've got Houston Griffith you got DJ Brown you got Ramona Henderson you got Xavier Watts I mean, you've got four guys you can rotate through there at safety, and we've seen all those guys. And, like, Watts got out there on the field, and he was making a couple of plays Saturday. I think that was probably after uh, Brandon Joseph was injured. So I completely agree. There's no reason to play him out there because Navy is such a different kind of game anyway. Any of those guys, tackling is, you know, like – especially like when you look at Watts and Griffith And Ramona Henderson, you know, like those those are come downhill kind of guys and make some tackles. So I think that that there's no reason to rush Brandon Joseph back. Just go with the depth that you have at safety. Use those other guys. Don't try to get him back too soon because of just just what you said. You, You need him more at the end of the season and even against Boston College when Phil Dracovic, you know, tries to throw it all over the field.
2: Yeah, and like Derek said too, no returns, no that, no punt returns. I, I'd be in favor of maybe throwing Chris Tyree back there and let him get some more, you know, added touches, especially with the the running back load that we've seen, you know, from Diggs um, and Estimate yeah. the last few games.
1: Yeah, and Savage Cellian fitness. So since Notre Dame is beaten. UNC, and Clemson. Does that make us the real ACC champs? I mean, Notre Dame's been running the ACC for a couple of years now, right? I mean, more than a couple <laughs> years. 27 straight wins over ACC teams. It's like perennial ACC champ. Yeah, that's like four count. or five years that they're that's running right. right now. That's right. So Marcus Freeman was wearing a fitted suit and tie and white sneakers before the game. Thoughts on the st- the style statement from Marcus Freeman?
2: You know, I'm a big fan of getting rid of dress shoes. I think that, you know, stylish sneakers, whether you're a Nike fan, an Adidas fan, a Reebok fan, you know, whatever your your favorite style of sneaker is, I think that it's more trendier and more, you know, fashionable than just wearing kind of old clunky uh, shoes. And especially with a nice, you know, cleaned up suit or outfit. I think it's just like the perfect, you know, cherry on top. You see guys like, um, oh, Kenny Kenny the Jet Smith on TNT is always wearing a nice pair of Jordans. Uh, with his outfits and stuff like that. So I think it's great. I think it's just as good uh, and definitely better, in my opinion, better to wear a nice, you know, stylish pair of sneakers uh, with a nice suit.
1: See, like John says he should have worn dress shoes. I think it stands out so much because they are white sneakers. Like you said, Kenny the Jet, like like a lot of those guys will wear Jordans or something with a little, you know, darker color to them. But because they were white sneakers, it stood out more. So that's what, like – You know, I know it's the style, I guess, to kind of go, you know, it's like he's got the fitted suit and he's looking all sharp and he's got white sneakers. So it just, it looks a little different, but I mean, it's, you know, the trends more than me. So that's why I'm asking you. It's,
2: it's a, it is a popular trend. Marcus Freeman is, is a younger guy. I'd say he's more trendier. He's always got the nice fade, the nice suits. He's very well cleaned up and put together. You know, I I just it's it doesn't really at the end of the day matter because everything else is so cleaned up. He's cleaned up. He's you know, he's a very intimidating fit, man. He's in a nice suit. You know, the the sneakers are just like a little flare of touch, a personality. And I think that's what it it is for For you know, someone like myself. And I think Marcus Freeman is is the same way.
1: Yeah. Derek says he can wear Chaz Reynolds (laughs) red robe from Wedding Crashers. That's right. (laughs) Bring the meatloaf with it. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's a look. It's, you know, again, it it, he's 36 years old, so he's got a little bit different style than the rest of us old farts, I guess. So, (laughs) no, I mean, John's right. You wouldn't go into an interview wearing a suit with tennis shoes. In most cases, I think, because I think even interviews are becoming a little more casual these days, aren't they, Jess?
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I I can't remember the last time I wore dress shoes into the office. I honestly usually wear, you know, a nice shirt, a nice pair of pants and some sort of, yeah, like tennis shoes, sneakers, whatever it might be, but they're nice. They're cleaned up and it, it just goes well. Everything is nice in, in, with the with the entire uh, scheme. So, you know, I, I think interview might be a little bit different because it's, you know, an interview, but I'm already hired. I'm on board. You know, I, I, I do good work. You're not going to fire me over what what tennis shoes I wear into there
1: (laughs) absolutely so after Alabama's loss to LSU Paul Feinbaum says the window on Nick Saban's Alabama dynasty is slowly closing do you buy or sell that
2: I sell that can we give some some respect to Saban and what he's done like the last decade like when is the window ever technically going to close and You know, if for me the window's got to be closed if he doesn't win a national championship in like three or four years consecutively, because you know he's shown that he's not going to win it every year, but he's probably going to win it the year after, or maybe the year after that. So there's just way too much to to be seen, uh, and and for me to make that kind of decision. So that's that's a big sell for me, and I I'm surprised that Feinbaum said that. Maybe he's just trying to get clicks. Maybe he's you know trying to do what he can, but it's just way too soon. To be making that kind of statement. See,
1: that's—I mean—he acts like like this is like a national crisis. Like Nick Saban has never had a two-loss season before. He lost two games just a couple of years ago. He's taken Alabama to the national championship game five of the last six years. Yeah, come on, and won three of them. You know, it was it, it. He's only two years removed from not making it. To the playoff before and you go back before that you know it's like the, every, every once in a while like the recruiting cycle kind of catches up a little bit just because he's lost two games is not the end of the world it doesn't mean the dynasty is about to crash I think it is a bit too soon to be trying to make that proclamation because like both games that he's lost have been very close games to begin with you know they had the missed field goal at the end of the Tennessee game and of course Brian Kelly shows the biggest brass that he ever has in his life and goes for two in overtime. But, but I mean, you're talking about a missed field goal at the end of regulation and an overtime game is the difference in those two losses. And so now you're, you're, you're going to say, well, the dynasty is over. It's, it's, it's done. I mean, they're going to reload. They're still bringing in five stars. Like some of the guys in the chat have said here, I mean, they're it's, it's far from over. I, I'm, It's way too soon. Way too soon. So it's a big sell for me.
2: Yeah, and you know, honestly, these these are the seasons that piss him off even more. So, like, I know that just gives him the motivation to even more motivated to. Oh, you you think you think Brian Kelly could beat me? This is uh, I'll I'll show you uh, (laughs) next year. Well, you know, it's just I I feel like it gives him. He's constantly finding, and he said it before. He's constantly finding new ways to motivate himself to, to to when you have so much success. He was asked, like, how do you find ways to motivate yourself? And these are the things that kind of motivate him. And so, you know, you got to see, I got to see next year before I can, at
1: least before I can make any kind of decision like that. Yeah. Our man in Monterey, Brent Smith, is here. Greetings to you as well, Brent. Glad to have you as always. Jess, it is blank. Fill in the blank. It is blank that the SEC has put together a working group to stop fans from storming fields or courts after big wins. It's lame,
2: but I understand why they're doing it. And the two biggest reasons is what we saw with Tennessee, the goalposts. They don't want to be liable for the money that it costs to replace things, (laughs) yada, yada, yada. And then obviously the other big one is safety. You know, the safety of the fans, the players, because at that point, there's so much going on, and it is technically on their field, so they're you know liable for all those kinds of things, and and so I, I just think it becomes a huge liability, of of course, with the finances, and, and then with the, the safety of of all the fans. So it's lame, but I have an understanding of of where they're coming from at the same time. Yeah, yeah, but I actually I forgot when to when you one look at. Saying, look at- you don't ahead, win these big games every week, and so I'm okay with it if you're not doing it like five times, you know, two, three, four times a year. Like if it's happening once every couple years, then it's like, right. come on, you're celebrating a big moment.
1: I mean, and that's typically why they storm the court or storm the field or whatever it is. These are it's predominant, you know. It usually starts with the student section for one. You know, they come, they come over and 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 storm it. Now, I, I do realize like player safety and all that kind of stuff is an issue. I probably even more so like on basketball courts, just because if you get, you know, so many, you know, the court is so much smaller and all that stuff, but just trying to get players off and into the locker room, get them out of there from, from the opposing team. But like, even you looked at Marcus Freeman, like he was swarmed out there. Now, now people were going to, you know, take care of Marcus Freeman, the people closest to him, but there's a, you know, it's a mob. There's a swarm of people out there. So, you know, I get what they're trying to accomplish, but at the same time, it's college sports. Like you don't see court rushing in the NBA and the NFL and and that kind of thing. You see it in college sports where you've got students involved and all that stuff and they're getting excited. You know, there's there's a lot of things for them to get excited about. Like your Notre Dame, you've had it a bit of an up and down season and then you've got an undefeated, number 4 ranked team in the nation coming in and you just Beat the snot out of them, and it, it's it's fun. It's fun to see that kind of thing. So, again, I get the intent because you're trying for you know player safety for the opposing team and all that kind of, and even the team you know that of the the winning team, the winning coaches, and all that stuff. But I think you got to keep some fun in college sports, especially. All right, Jesse. So. Miami Dolphins wide receiver Tyreek Hill has 1104 yards receiving in 9 games. Scale of 1 to 10, what chance do you give him to become the NFL's first 2000-yard receiver?
2: This is a tough one because he's in a good scheme and obviously, you know, he is Tyreek Hill, um <laughs> at the end but it's like 2000 yards is a very <laughs> is a very large number. So I'm actually trying to look up as we speak, Cooper Cup last year, and he he had nineteen four seven right, uh, hundred and forty five receptions, and that's that's very very close. Um, man, I just I think with the playoffs, he could potentially get it if they make a deep playoff run. But if we're talking no, straight, now, the playoffs don't count. Season, we're talking
1: about regular season. We're talking about regular season. Regular so he's season. Got, he's got I, eight giving, more games to do it.
2: I'm giving him um, I'm giving him a six out of ten. I I don't think that it's 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 Super likely, but because of his speed and, like I said, the offense and, you know, he's consistently racking up the yards, the, the yards after catch. I don't think it's completely impossible, but I, I think it, there is some possibility to it. So I, I'm right on the fence around, like, five or six area.
1: I'm going to give him an eight. He's going to have to pick the pace back up, obviously, for where he is because <laughs> he's he's almost 900 yards short and he's got eight games to do it. But, like, his last two games, 143 yards 188 yards. He's at 177-yard game. He's at 190-yard game this year. It is crazy. He is putting up video number games out there in Miami. And I was really wondering, you know, like when he went out there, wow, man, you're giving up Patrick Holmes. You're going out there with Tua. I think he's got a good shot to do it. Yeah, that, I mean, that McDaniels offense, Brent is exactly right, the, the, the Northern California guy, that McDaniels offense – I'm I'm going to give him an eight. I think he's got a really solid chance to get it because of the fact that you do have the extra game now in the NFL season, obviously 17 games instead of just 16 games.
2: Yeah, and having someone like Waddle and his success obviously helps him too because you can't just try to bracket and double team. Right. You got to pick your poison and that's what uh, McDaniels is scheming is just getting those guys different ways to be open and they only help each other when, when they're both, uh, you know, great like that yep
1: gonzaga is reportedly considering moving to the big 12 of course they don't have football but do you buy or sell gonzaga in the big 12 being good for college basketball
2: Oh, that's a big buy for me you know the, the biggest knock on gonzaga is they have they put together these really good you know regular seasons but it, because of the conference they play in and some kind of you know struggles and the inconsistency in the ncaa tournament I think a lot of people would like to see them more battle tested uh, during the regular season. And that's exactly what the Big 12, you know, you can make the argument that the Big 12 is one of the better, you know, basketball conferences all around year in and year out with, you know, you have Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, uh, you know, Texas, Texas Texas Tech recently. So it's just, it is the big 12 is rich with basketball. And if you can add another school like Gonzaga, who is rich in basketball, but also needs kind of that opportunity to prove themselves even more. I think it's a great marriage actually, and helps out kind of everything. Gonzaga college basketball, the big 12,
1: all of it. I think so as well. I, you know, cause like you would get so many more primetime matchup, you know, like the big, whether it's big Monday or, you know, whatever it happens to be like more marquee matchups, for the big 12 and even though college basketball obviously is not the sport that drives the bus for everybody to for for the big 12 getting those schools that they're getting that are coming in for football including byu and houston and and ucf right the realignment to be able to add to the basketball product as well i just think houston i forgot about houston and what they provide in basketball yep that's right so i mean you know like the Big 12 has won. They've already got the last two national champions: Kansas last year, Baylor the year before that. And I, I think it's Baylor. easy to forget that Texas Tech played in the national championship game the year before that. So they've had three straight teams in the national championship, and to be able to get against Zaga, help you know, it, I think it, it, as you said, it makes them more battle tested throughout the season, and it gives you some really good matchups, you know, that 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 you can watch throughout the year. So I think it'd be good for everybody for Gonzaga to go to the big 12.
2: Completely agree. And I I even left out some of the schools that you talked about, like Baylor and all those other kind of juggernauts. It's just, it's like the, it would, you could make the case that it is the best basketball conference. And when you talk about adding Gonzaga uh, and Houston, it's only going to bolster their kind of reputation
1: for what they got going on. Absolutely. Brian wanted me to remind everyone that uh, we do have the college football playoff (laughs) show coming up live at 7.30 tonight. So that is coming up here in just a little bit. So we're going to give you a chance to take a little breather, take a little break, and then you can jump over and watch that at 7.30. Good whiteboard action today, Jesse. I liked your whiteboard game. Good job. Thank you. I hope the people now
2: understand you know, how great of a game people like Bracey, Morrison, Hart played you know, just being undersized and having to take down some of those big guys on the perimeter. And that was the emphasis. And that was the big reason why Notre Dame shut down Clemson. They took away the run up the middle and then took away everything on the perimeter um, and then obviously dominated and, and ran how they did on offense. So it was just a complete masterful class. I thought it was just a really, really good win for Notre Dame. And I'm glad that we were able to kind of talk about that some more.
1: Midweek mailbag coming up Wednesday. Jesse and Brian with more whiteboard looking at Navy's triple option offense on Thursday as well. So that's going to do it for tonight. Appreciate you guys as always. Guys and gals, hit the like button on the way out. If you would, subscribe, rate, and review. Jesse, I will talk to you later. Have a good rest of your week. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. We will talk to you tomorrow on Ivy Nation Sports Talk.